irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza and Marvin Smith, right here on LA Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Answers for the Family. I'm your host, Alan Cardoza, and with me is my co-host with the most, Marvin Smith. Woohoo! <laughs> hey, Marvin, it is great to be back in the studio with you. Alan, it is. It seemed like it's been months, but it's only been a couple of weeks. Well, yeah, that's true, but you know, the, the nice part is that means we're busy. Yeah, that's, that is true. I mean, I, you're you know working on some featured work in Hollywood. I mean, I continue to commend you. A lot of hard work. Um, I can't remember where I was at the last couple of weeks. Oh, we had some, some crisis cases That's with right. teens I was working on. So, uh, yeah, we are busy. That's but, right. But yeah. I enjoy the show, though. I Absolutely. Mean. And me, too. And I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, but also, the other thing I want people to know is, is that you know when Marvin wasn't here the last couple of times, that's because he was making a positive difference in the life of a young man. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, can I, can I add to that? Sure. Uh, thanks for the accolades. I mean, you, you know my heart. I know yours. And I look at, you know, we always talk about how can we impact community? How can we impact the world? And I think, you know, the positive aspects of film has the opportunity to, if it's done properly, to impact millions of people. So, I mean, I, I want you to, you know, continue on that pathway and, and continue to, to, you know, try to, you know, you have these stories that are heart-wrenching that... And I think our guest today, no, I don't think, I know our guest today is a uh, perfect fit. Yeah, I'm excited because <laughs> it kind of ties into this. Mm-hmm. Well, as usual, we will bring you guests that will inspire, educate, and in some cases, outright entertain you, while bringing you answers and options to raising children today in our constantly changing future. And each week, we will address issues such as locating a runaway teen, family crisis intervention, building self-esteem, dealing with addictions, and so much more. With each of us having over 30 years of experience working with families in crisis, we've been fortunate. Don't you think so, Alan? Absolutely. Every day. Fortunate to meet and work with some of the top professionals in many of the helping fields and authors sharing valuable stories and helpful information who are helping to keep your family, mine, and all our listeners mentally, physically, and spiritually sound. And making this world a better place for all of us. And we'll continue to bring you some of these incredibly talented and caring people each week as we bring you Answers for the Family. Well, Alan, you know, our topic today, um, I don't know if we'll call it a topic, yeah, theme, but literary thrillers. Mm-hmm. I like that, thrillers. <laughs> Remind me of a kid, you know. I don't want to watch the thriller, no thriller, the thriller, but no. Anyway, but you know, but I, I, but the topic is building empathy, as well as suspense. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's some research that um, I think is really applicable to this. It's um, researchers at the New York, the New School in New York, um, have found evidence that literary fiction improves a reader's capacity to understand what others are thinking and feeling. And I think this goes in alignment, too, with um, here recently, in recent years, the whole movement behind emotional intelligence. Um, 
you know, I think about Daniel Goleman, this whole thing about, uh, you know, when you think about emotional intelligence and, and, and it, to me that's a sense of looking at empathy and other aspects of, you know, how can you have empathy for someone else if you really don't even understand yourself? It's a great point. You know, and then I, I look at there's Howard Gardner in the field of education um, as he talks about multiple intelligence that we all, you know, we don't all think and learn the same way. And I, you know, so I think as we look at our subject matter here, it's uh, I'm, it's a good subject matter. Mm-hmm. Really good. I'm, 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 inter- I'm excited. So tell us about our guest. Our guest today, Dennis Palumbo. He's a former Hollywood screenwriter. Best known for his featured film, My Favorite Year, for which he was nominated a WAG Award for Best Screenplay. He was also a staff writer for ABC TV series Welcome Back Carter, among other network shows. I don't know if some of our young listeners know about Welcome Back Carter. (laughs) Yeah, well... Uh, I know that I remember Welcome Back, Cotter very well. And in fact, and I'm glad to hear, to, to see that it's back on like TV land. Oh. It's back. Oh, it's okay. So, and I remember the characters and such. So uh, for those young people out there that kind of wonder where, where John Travolta came from, Watch Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> Carter. Uh, now I'm saying Carter. Cotter. Cotter. Yes. And, um, and they'll see uh, Vinnie Barbarino. Yes. <laughs> So anyway, you know, also I want to add that, you know, Dennis was a commentator for uh, NPR's All Things Considered and is Mm -hmm. a contributing writer and reviewer for the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Huffington Post, and many others. His work helping writers have been profiled in the New York Times, Premier Magazine, the Los Angeles Times, and other publications, as well as on NPR and CNN. Now, as a licensed psychotherapist in private practice, Dennis specializes in treating people in the entertainment industry, which was the inspiration for his popular column, Hollywood on the Couch, uh, that, is, that, that can be found on Psychology Today website. Well, you know, as a former professional athlete, um, I think I might need to go sit on Dennis's couch that we can have a couple conversations. Guys, you know, literally, as they have told me with this, you know, the NFL, we have I have brain damage. It's, you know, I have adult ADHD and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, so I, I might need some. I could take all the help I can get, Alan. <laughs> Dennis is also the author of, of a well-reviewed series of mystery thrillers. Featuring Daniel Renald, a psychologist and trauma expert. Titles in the series include Mirror Image, Fever Dream, Night Night Tremors, and recently released Phantom Limb. Oh, I got to watch out for that Phantom Limb. You know, you know, you know, I'm one of these visual individuals, Alan. That's it. So I think about you know the Phantom Limb. I mean, there is. They talk about you know being being serious now in the military. They talk about there are, um, you know, veterans that they go to war, and all of a sudden their arm is blown off or a leg or a limb. And, and even though it's not there, they still, they say, they feel that it's there. You know, to me it's kind of like that phantom. It's, it's not there, but it is. So it's just amazing how the mind works as well. Well, we have got the perfect guest then to welcome. So, Dennis, welcome to Answers for the Family, and tell us a little bit about Phantom Limb. <laughs> Well, thank you, Alan and Marvin. Uh, that was a great introduction. Uh, I really am happy to be here, and I hope that what we discussed is of some value to, to your listeners. Um, yeah, actually, uh, I'm a psychotherapist in private practice and have been for 28 years, 
And as you say, prior to that, in you know, in my other life, I had been a TV and film writer. But about six or seven years ago, I finally decided to do something that I dreamed about since I was a kid, which was to create a series of novels uh, uh, with a lead character. You know, and and now that I'm I've uh, I've gotten the opportunity to do so. The novels are about the two things I care about the most, which is the state of the mental health system in America and Pittsburgh, where the novels take place and where I was born and raised. And Phantom Limb is the fourth in the series of mystery thrillers. And uh, actually, uh, Marvin was right. One of the main threads in the story is about a returning Afghan vet who's lost a leg uh, in, in, in uh, combat to an IED and has phantom limb symptoms. Uh, uh, as Marvin said, he, he imagines his limb that isn't there. It itches at night. It gets cold. And uh, this is a fascinating syndrome that almost 80% of returning vets struggle with. Yes. Plus, also, in, in, in phantom limb, I use it as a, as a metaphor for that felt sense of loss we all feel when we've had a significant loss, like the death of a loved one, or we've gone through a difficult divorce or something, that sense that the loved person is still here, even though they may be gone. And, uh, I mean, I remember for many years after the death of my beloved grandfather, it was very hard for me to imagine he wasn't still around. And so I, I use phantom limb, that syndrome, as a metaphor in the book. Um, my hero, Daniel Rinaldi, is a psychologist who uh, is a trauma expert and consults with the Pittsburgh police. And he himself is the victim of trauma. He and his wife were mugged years ago, and they were both shot. She died. He didn't. And he struggled with survivor guilt. And his sense of her still being around, even though she isn't, is one of the things that motivates his mission to help victims of violent crime. And of course, even though he's not a policeman and he's an amateur, because this is a mystery series, he somehow ends up involved in solving a lot of crimes. And uh, I think if your listeners like very character-driven, well-thought-out literary thrillers, I think they would like the Daniel Rinaldi series. Mm, And uh, that's the end of my plug. Well, no, and, and, but it, but an excellent one, and let's follow that up with, um, where can they get that? Are these books that can be gotten at, at Amazon, at yeah, Barnes & Noble? Yeah, of course. They're all at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, the publisher is Poison to Pen Press, and you can read all the reviews of the books uh, on my website, DennisPalumbo.com, and you can also order it the books, you know, there are fine bookstores everywhere, and you could, if you're like me and you're a fan of independent bookstores, which which are, I think, uh, the backbone of the literary, literary world, go down to your local independent bookstore and order it from them. Okay. Uh, I think it'll help keep them going. Yes. Yeah. Now, when you talk about it as a series, uh, what immediately comes to mind for me is, is that, is anybody talking to you about making it a TV series? Well, it's funny you should mention that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, we have some interest. It's a little too early to uh, state any specifics, but that seems to be the direction this is going in. Um, and so I'll just keep 
all my fingers and toes crossed, and we'll see what happens. You know, the thing about, I've been around uh, the pool long enough to know that interest is one thing, but there's a long <laughs> journey between that and cameras rolling. So I'll just keep everything I've got crossed. So let's let's kind of go back to to the shift that you made. You know, at what point did you realize that this was a move that worked for you to go from um, you know from writing Hollywood screenplays to becoming a therapist and working with people like yourself who were writing Hollywood screenplays? Dennis, I'll give you the five minute version. You know, the five minute version is that I went into therapy myself. Uh, I had been going through some personal struggles in my early 30s, and I fell in love with the process. So I started volunteering at low-fee family clinics. I started working as an intern at a psychiatric facility, but I was still working in TV and film. I was still writing, but I went back to school at night, uh, and... Over a period of three and a half years, I got my master's degree, and I still was not thinking I would necessarily change my life, but as I worked more and more as an intern, and as I got a little bit older, I started realizing that I actually liked working with patients more than I liked being in show business, and it was a very difficult decision, um, but finally, at some point, I realized I think I want to change my life. Um now, this was aided by the fact that, and I know this is going to sound really corny, but I was working on a film about uh, a mountain climber, and so I had to go all over the world climbing mountains, and one of the places I went and ended up living for three months was Nepal. Mm. And I went up into the Himalayas and did a lot of meditation work, and as corny as it sounds, it's like the razor's edge, you know. I came back from that experience wanting to do something a little more meaningful in my life, life. Yes. at least as I saw it. Mm. And I thought that helping others would actually help me. You know, Ram Dass said that service to others is service to oneself. And uh, I knew then that I think I want to be a therapist. And so... I've been very fortunate in that I got to work for years at a psychiatric hospital with schizophrenics. Uh, I also worked for many years in a family clinic where uh, I helped couples and families and children with substance issues and gang members and stuff, so that by the time I went into private practice, even though I specialize in creative individuals, I see you know, families and couples as well as, as creative individuals, and as a result, have a fairly broad-based understanding of the issues that people deal with every day in their private life. And I think your, your listeners may be interested to know that regardless of their level of success, people in show business have the same issues. It's just yes. that the spotlight's shining on them. Uh, and, and people who are not in the entertainment industry don't have quite that spotlight shining on them. And uh, it does make it much, much harder. So I have great sympathy for people like who are in the tabloids and stuff. I, uh, I wouldn't want to be them for all the money in the world. Yeah, you know what they say, uh, Dennis, sometimes what it looks like and what it is are two different things. Um, and the other thing, as you're sharing, it just because uh, I call it the passion button, and it sounds like you got hit with the the passion bug. You know, finding that true sense of direction in life. That you know, it, it, it's interesting. You know, because once we hit that we that genre or that point in our life, 
things seem to change. We look at things differently. All of a sudden, we're not we're not driven by money. We're driven by you know the compassion and and change and what what things can be. Um, and it's just interesting. I said when, when you're sharing that, I thought about um, Desmond. You know, uh, former Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and he said, you know, there's the two greatest moments in our life is one when we were born, and two when we discover why we were why we why we were born what our passion or what our purpose in life is because so i believe that everybody has a purpose and when you can find that main vein of purpose it just you know that old saying it's like going to work it's like doing something you love and you're getting paid to do what you love you go i mean that's, that's just phenomenal uh, the other thing i think or- about the other thing i think about too is when i think about what you're doing in that journey which is very fascinating I look at Alan on coming from the other extreme. Now, someone who started off in the helping field, uh, working with Christ, uh, I mean, uh, uh, teen in crisis and, you know, private investigation and runaways to all of a sudden now going, looking at Hollywood and looking at how he could take the backdrop of that work and how he could bring it to to the forefront that it could help not just one family, two families, but now something that's on the big screen that can help multiple families in a very creative manner. So it's very interesting when I look at the diversion of how these these worlds and passion come together because, boy, he has the bug too now. He has the passion bug, and it's making films. <laughs> <laughs> so you can only imagine, right, Dennis? Oh, I can imagine absolutely. In fact, I really liked um, that comment that you quoted from Desmond Tutu. It reminded me, uh, uh, a little bit of Victor Frankl's book, The Search for Meaning, and yes, that yes. that while people think what they want is money and fame and success, what they really want is meaning. meaning. They want a sense of meaning in their life. And uh, I, my experience with my patients is if doing our therapeutic work, we can, you know, you know, journey toward their being more authentic. Yes. Then their 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 heart opens up. You know, they're like the the Buddhists talk about the heart of compassion, and you start out with some empathy for yourself, and it can spread out to empathy for others, and uh, it's much easier to discover what your sense of meaning is the more authentic you are. And that means, you know, that this, well, in my case, in, in terms of working with patients in therapy, is to try to access feelings that they may have suppressed or to challenge some self-defeating meanings that they may be walking around with, you know. Um, we all walk around with a kind of personal mythology about ourselves and how the world works. And you need to shake that up a little bit. And I think the more you do that, the quicker you'll discover who you really are, which is the pathway of finding out what your passion really is. Which it really is, which is so true. And, you know, adding to that, when I look at my um, my background and development outside of uh, professional sports, um, you know, with a behavioral background and, and graduate work, I, it's, you know, early on I found out, you know, my heart was about giving back and, and supporting others. And when you can get to the point of basically stepping outside of yourself and, and being self-indulged is when you really start to understand and having the empathy to move forward to want to help others. And I think we're in a world, especially with social media now, that we're so enthralled about, you know, selfies. It's all about, I mean, I say people are listening to their favorite radio station, which is WIFM. 
what's in it for me? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's great. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. In fact, if anything, one of the things I... I don't want to go off on a rant here, but one of the things I worry about with social media is the rise of narcissism and yeah. and the, the sort of grandiose self-image. You know, I mean, I really don't need to see pictures of what people had for lunch that day. <laughs> and, you know, I don't need to know that, hey, my sister's washing her hair. Great, you know. How does that help anyone? You know, right. what does that mean? And so I, I do have, I am one of those skeptics about the value of social media in that regard, because I think it's contributing to, uh, to the idea, the, to, to growth of, of narcissism yes. in a celebrity-driven culture. Yeah. And, you know, to, to get us to the topic of, of today's show, mm-hmm. um, I hate to be the one to do it, but one of the things I think literature does do is it takes us out of ourselves. Mm-hmm and gives us an understanding of how others think and feel, particularly when the stakes are very high. You know, when we read about a character who is in turmoil or in desperate straits, and then we worry about them and worry for them and work through with them how they can build the strength to endure in dire circumstances, it elevates, you know, when you were talking about emotional intelligence, it elevates our ability to have compassion and empathy for others yes. and understand their thought processes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what great writing has always done, is it's been a, a, a mirror for the reader to the outside world. Well, you know, and, and you're hitting the, the nail on the head, and I really look at, when I start to look at thrillers and society and where we're going forward kind of a um, back to this point of social media and then back to literary you know um, thrillers two things it's like what most what most things it's a great tool if it's used properly but unfortunately we have these things that are created that they're no longer they're no longer used as a tool it becomes a crutch and so I, I really love, you know, as I'm looking at some of the things that you've done on, on the thriller, on the writing side, how you're, you, you have, en- as far as engaging and weaving together the aspects of, you know, cri- of, your, of your, you know, clinical background, you know, for psychiatric families and, and what's gone on there, and then taking your current experience in private practice, you know, treating the Hollywood elites, and then taking, um, you know, police procedure details of a mystery thriller and how it challenges the mind for solutions. And then you have, you have woven those together, and as it's, it's a unique combination of elements when properly executed, like social media. It's a great tool when you put them all together when properly executed. You know, and it, and it can yeah, have I, positive I, I, impacts. I agree. I, I think that one of the values of a well-written literary thriller, particularly one that has good characters, is, you know, we, we forget book to book what the plot was or what the clues were. I mean, I I hope my books have good plots and I hope they're suspenseful and I hope they have good twists and turns. But the reason I write them and the thing that most of my readers tell me that they respond to in the books is the characters and how the characters in the book interact, their loves, their disappointments, their joys and sorrows. Um, I not only have a series that has a lead character that we follow book to book, but he has friends, he has relatives, mm-hmm. he has colleagues, 
all of whose lives we follow as well as the books go along. And I think that that allows the reader to feel like they have an investment in the lives of these characters. And, you know, as the new school study indicated, the more you read about how characters interact with each other and deal with stressors, the more you have compassion for the guy next door to you and how he or she is dealing with stressors. Right. And I think adding to that, it, it, what it does, as you follow the characters, it, it makes it very synonymous with, you can look at your own family. You start to look at characters going, oh, that's Uncle Joe. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's my that's neighbor right. across the street. That's exactly you know, right. It's very astute. That's exactly right. You go, God, my Uncle Larry's just like that. Right. So then it becomes more well, valuable because you, you, at that point, you have a chance to personalize and see it not just as words on a, on, on a page, not just another story. It becomes real. Yeah, it becomes real. That's why certain books that, that jump out at us and, you know, uh, become incredibly real to us. And the characters are people that we come to love and care about. And, and because they're so real, they, uh, they, um, we care so much about what happened to them. Right. What their lives are like. Right, yeah. And, and that's, I think, one of the key things for great writing is, is that, you know, were you able to elicit an emotion? Was there an emotion that came with that person? You know, with your, with your good people, it's an emotion to where you care about them. On the other hand, you know, when, you, when you're writing a, a bad character, how do, you, how do you tie that in to where you would elicit an emotion also to where they don't like that character but yet want to keep reading? Well, that's, I think the key is to make the character understandable. You know, I, I have a, a, a belief that, you know, if we have a, a villain who's just evil for the sake of being evil, there's nothing to relate to. Right. Um, I think if we have an antagonist who may be doing bad things, but from his or her point of view, you can see how they may feel they have no options. You know, the thing to remember about the bad guy is that they're not being bad because they like being bad. They're being bad because they think it will make them happy. That right. they'll do something by being bad that will help them. You know, let's say you're envious because your brother-in-law, you know, just got a lot of money from an inheritance. And so you think, okay, I'm going to kill my brother-in-law, and then I'll get that money. Well, it's <laughs> not because you want to kill someone. It's because you think the money will make you happy. Right, right. You see what I mean? Yes. And it doesn't. The The ambitions that fuel the bad guy, whether it's greed or, um, you know, lust or whatever the ambition that fuels the bad guy, has to be understandable to the reader, or else they're not going to relate to the books very much. Right. And as you said that, I was going to come back with the comment, it, it has to be relatable you know that under that it does tie in and understandable yep definitely and you know right now what i'm looking at is i'm looking at the time and we're going to have to take a break but we will be right back for those of you that are sitting at a computer uh if you want to follow along you can open up another window go to dennis's website which is dennis Palumbo.com. That's D-E-N-N-I-S-P-A-L-U-M-B-O.com. You can open up another window and uh, stay with us, and we will be right back. 
founded over 25 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, West Shield specializes in resolving adolescent issues that negatively impact the family. From preteen to young adult, we are experienced and qualified to help. We offer solutions which include referrals to a network of top professionals internationally that we work very closely with in the fields of educational consulting, psychology, and psychiatry. Our in-home crisis intervention care program helps to stabilize families and bring effective resolution. We are supported by our licensed investigation company that enables us to offer legal and expert services for locating runaway teens and more. Our therapeutic transportation services help to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely provided transportation to specialized schools and programs with unmatched experience and success. Simply put, West Shield Adolescent Services is the best solution when your family is facing personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585 and let us help you. And we're back. You're listening to Answers for the Family. Uh, our guest today, Dennis Palumbo, is uh, a author. He is a former Hollywood writer of screenplays, and he is a psychologist. So, and he is he is working with uh, families. He's working with people within the entertainment industry. And uh, we are talking a little bit about the current series that he has of mystery thrillers. Uh, and and we're kind of tying that in into real life. In other words, yes. you know how how does this tie in? How does a particular character um, really stay with somebody? And and we're learning that, that sort of having this knowledge of psychology as well as writing um, has worked well for Dennis. So. Um, Dennis, we are glad to have you here. And again, for those uh, that have opened up another window, uh, you can be looking at Dennis's website as well and kind of follow along with us about some of the things we're talking about. You know, as we were just sharing, as uh, Dennis was just sharing, I think, Dennis, I, I really see that when, when you start to weave in and, and the characters and, and uh, when I talk about literary thrillers, to me, if we look at that kind of played out on the screen, it's what's soap opera is the epitome of what soap operas are. It's these lives that's just played out. And, you know, and, and my mom's been watching a particular, I, I don't I don't watch that stuff, but, you know, for years, and she, she will talk to my aunt, and I might be listening to the conversation, and they're, they're having a conversation like they're talking about real people. Like, hey, did you? And I'm like, Mom, who, who are you talking about? Oh, uh, somebody in the soap operas. I'm like, wow. The way you were discussing that, like, it was really. I mean, this was somebody you knew, you know. So I think I really believe too. The writing is that it takes you in that same genre, puts you, puts you there, front seat. Well, I think you have to remember too, and and most people don't think of it this way. But because I've been a therapist for twenty eight years, and you know, the hero of my book is a therapist as well, it gives me an opportunity to talk about, you know, the these lives that all my characters have, but. The thing I think most people forget is that I think your average person has operatic passions. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you take the guy that's bagging groceries at your local supermarket, and, you know, he's a quiet guy, he doesn't say, you know, two words while he's bagging your groceries, but if you took him outside and had a 20-minute conversation, you'd hear about a family history that had mental illness in it, perhaps bankruptcy, infidelity, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on in people's lives that 
would make soap operas feel tame. <laughs> and the reality is, is that's why we relate to literary thrillers, is because the stakes are very high. I mean, let's face it, in, in real life, you may, you, know, you may really, really hate you know, your second cousin. Well, in a mystery novel, you get to run your second cousin over with a truck. The feelings are exactly the same, but in a literary thriller, they get acted out. So it's vicarious for the reader. It's the reason why every culture of the world has soap operas. <laughs> and the reason is because these characters in soap operas act out the kinds of passions that we as social animals can't act out with each other. Right, that is true. You know, we all have to get along. You know, we all have to sort of comport ourselves in a certain way, or else there'd be anarchy. Right. Well, in thrillers, people get to act out their worst motives, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's something that is thrilling as long as order is restored at the end. Right. And I think that's very important, too, as an aspect of building empathy and understanding. Literary thrillers open up the window to very deep profound feelings, but because it's a narrative, it goes back to what the Greeks did with drama. At the end, order is restored, and in our real lives, it's rarely restored like that. You know, the endings of things are kind of ragged in real life, but in most pop fiction, the order is restored in such a way that we are vicariously relieved. We got the catharsis of that relief, which, by the way, is exactly what happens in therapy. You have a strong feeling about something, you cry or you talk about it with your therapist, and that catharsis releases all of those suppressed feelings for you. And I think really good writing does the same thing for a reader. Well, well, let me ask you this, Dennis. I mean, when we talk about literary thrillers, you know, and... You know, as far as help the readers to develop a greater understanding of human condition, um, how, how do you see that? And in particular, how do they aid in building empathy in that reader? I think they aid in build, building empathy if you are able, uh, as, a, as a writer, to create a lead character that we can all relate to. Okay. Most literary thrillers deal with an ordinary person caught in a very unusual situation. And then how they struggle to find inner resources within themselves to deal with that situation reminds all of us of the times we've had to really step up to take care of something that was difficult or alarming or frightening. See, the only thing that a procedural or a crime thriller does that's different than real life is that it accentuates all the stakes because a crime's been committed. Okay. But in real life, if you have a friend who has a big party and you're not invited, that's a little crime of the heart that's been done to you. Right. How are you going to deal with that? What do you think that says about your friendship? Are you going to retaliate by not inviting them somewhere? All a crime novel does is take the little crimes of life that we all do to each other and magnify it against the background of real legal crimes, just because they're exciting. 
You know, you need a spoonful of sugar to get the medicine to go down. And my feeling is I could either write a nonfiction book about the state of the mental health system, or I could write a mystery thriller that takes place in a psychiatric hospital so that you have the narrative of the thrill, but you also learn a lot about how the patients are treated in a psychiatric hospital. hospital. Right. You see what I mean? I give you both. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's interesting. And that's why I think the most popular literary thriller speaks to people. Um, If you look at Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn, I think the reason most people love that book or respond so strongly to the book is not because of any crimes that are committed, but because it's a dissection of a marriage. And we're all trying to understand relationships. And so I think because it's about relationships is the reason the book's so popular. Well, here's here's another side of that, flip side. Okay, things that are become horrific are played out in the literary thrillers. But let's go back to what you were saying before, something real simplex. Okay, I didn't get invited to a party. Hmm, yes. Now, I'm pondering on that. Hmm, do I retaliate and not, not invite that person to my party? I mean, so as simple as that is, people carry issues like this for life. For a lifetime. Oh, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I see them play out. You know, maybe it may not be directly at that person, but now they're holding on to that, and they see something that, that's similar that may look like that, and all of a sudden you see this person retaliating or doing something that's something not even related to that situation, but it's still hard. They're still harboring. Well, what, what is your, so should I retaliate, Dennis, or should I? What would be the better thing to do? Well, of course, I don't think retaliation does anyone any good. See, to me, if you're not invited to a party and your feelings are hurt, that's fine. That's what happens to people. Their feelings get hurt. hurt, But if you then take that feeling and give it a meaning like, oh, I'm not invited because I'm not an appealing person. Oh, nobody likes me. Oh, she did this to me just to hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. See, then you're off in la-la land where you are creating uh, scenarios that may or may not be true. Right. I mean, for all you know, you were invited and the envelope fell out of somebody's pocket and didn't make it into the mailbox. I mean, there's so many scenarios by which you weren't invited to this party, including the fact they forgot to. Right. But your mind goes swimming off into, oh, my God, it's a reflection on me. Now I'm embarrassed. Everyone knows I wasn't invited. I'll be a pariah in the in the neighborhood. And that's the kind of thing that builds and builds. And, and believe me, I know about this. I'm Italian. And when I was a kid, I, <laughs> there are people in my family who haven't talked to each other for 30 years over these small imagined slights. Yes. You know, because Italians take that kind of stuff very seriously. Very serious, yes. And, <laughs> and so I know. I mean, you know, I used to, as a, a kid in my family, we'd go to weddings or parties or whatever, and I knew who was not allowed to be placed sitting next to who, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because they hadn't spoken in 30, 30 years, years, you know, and it's, it's Sad. all literary thrillers do is take those very normal human feelings and exaggerate them into giant, horrific events as the, as the narrative train that takes you down the track of what the writer's really trying to do, which is to talk about how people behave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what I hear you saying is is that it it sounds like we become our wor- our own worst enemy. So it, it yeah, isn't it, it, it isn't what the other person says, but we're our own worst enemy with that six inches between our ears as to what we try to make of that. 
And yeah, well, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt said, "No one can make you feel bad about yourself without your cooperation." Exactly. Yes. Now, one of the one of the questions that I would like to to have you address, and many of our listeners are parents, and they are parents who have. Uh, whose children have been a challenge, let's put it that way. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and so with those parents, I mean, what would you tell those parents? What should those parents understand about the value of literary fiction, no matter what genre it is, in terms of helping their children develop the ability to uh, empathize and to understand another person's feelings? I would tell them to interest their children in very good, well-written young adult novels. One of the reasons these YA novels are so popular is that most of the time the hero or heroine is a teen or, or late adolescent in the case of Artemis Fowl, and they're struggling to understand how the world works. And to do so, they have to turn their hurt and confusion into kind of positive action. And the best way to do this is to understand how you're being responding, how you're responding to what happens to you. And I think that, I think one of the reasons these YA novels like Hunger Games and Divergent and stuff are so Uh popular is because they take the normal travails of a teenager or an adolescent, you know, where you're worried about your looks or you're worried about your popularity or you're worried that you're not smart enough to go to college, and they place them against a background of action and adventure Mm -hmm. so that the, the young adolescents reading it can go, oh, I know what this guy feels like. I mean, I think the reason the Harry Potter books are so popular Mm-hmm, it's not because right. of the magic, but because everyone relates to Harry and being this new, unlikely kid who comes to this school where everybody else knows the score and he doesn't. Right. Well, who hasn't felt like that? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that is so And strong. that's what I'd recommend. Get your kids reading good, age-appropriate adventure stories with the hero or heroine being of adolescent age. And watch how that hero and heroine deals with their problems and then discuss the book. I would read the book a lot. When my son was reading Harry Potter, I was too. Okay. Yep. So we could discuss it. Right, right. Well, let me ask you this too, Dennis. I kind of go in that same, that same direction. Um, you know, there's this popular, unpopular movement in uh, K-12 education and having emotional intelligence, this whole thing about empathy, part of the core curriculum. Um, now, I'm one of those individuals who, as you, we would say, is um, on the reform side. And I think looking at our society and where we're going, it should be a core element because it's about reality of life and helping teens or kids really start to understand at a young age about themselves so they can interact and relate with others. So I just want to maybe get your quick opinion on that. Well, you know, as a therapist, I have to tell you that I'm kind of in the reform camp myself. Uh, I'd much rather uh, an adolescent be taught about empathy, compassion, and critical thinking skills than algebra and trigonometry. Now, I know teachers are going to go insane when I say something like that, but I don't think it would hurt anyone if trig wasn't taught till much, much later. And earlier in the educational process, emotional intelligence was reinforced. I don't think it can be taught. I think empathy and compassion are 
see, I think we're inherently healthy in those regards. And then based on our environment and what we see on television or what happens around us or issues in our family, those aspects of ourselves that are by nature empathic and compassionate kind of get buried under resentment, hurt, fear, competitiveness. And so I don't think you need to teach empathy so much as kind of reawaken it in a student. Right, right, right. It's already there. So you want to nurture the stuff that's already there. Right. And they're, they're, and I guess after that you can teach trigonometry. I don't want, I don't want anybody sending me letters. And after <laughs> that you can teach them algebra yeah. and trigonometry. We'll, we'll still give them all the essence, but I, I think you're right. I think I know you're right because of some of the work that I do. And if we continue to nurture that, and there's a lot of research that shows that by the time kids get to kindergarten, instead of those, those skill sets, those uh, executive functioning skill sets continue to develop, they decline. And they only get worse. So there's something to say about that system. Instead of it growing and getting better, it gets worse. So um, anyway, well, thanks and, for that input. Yeah, and to, to quote John Maxwell, who uh, he talks about himself uh, not being very good at math and being told that he was now going to, in school, that he was going to have to focus on only math because it was his worst subject, and they didn't want him focusing on anything else. So he had to spend 70 or 80% of his time on math, on algebra, on trigonometry. And he said, fortunately, a couple of years later, he met a teacher who had a completely different view of things and said, I'm going to have you focus on the things that you're good, and I believe that you're going to make so much money that you can hire somebody to count it later. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with that. I think kids should be educated in the direction of where their natural interests and gifts and passions yeah. lie. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll you know, learn what they need to learn about those other things later, if at all. Yeah. Not because they're not important, but because each child learns different things based on what he or she is interested in. Now, again, I'm not an educator, I'm a therapist, and I can tell you that I don't teach children, but as the adults who walk through my door, I teach and work with the results of being told there's something wrong with you. So, I'd like that process of emerging empathy to happen to them way many, many years before they have to come through my door. Yeah, you, well, you're seeing the the outcome of the results, which is not That's always right. good. Yeah. Well, you know That's what? Exactly this, right. This is really interesting. I mean, we were down to like the last few minutes of the show. I mean, the time has flown. It just has flew by. This is such a great topic, hey, Dennis. I have enjoyed this topic, but I know Alan, you need to probably close out that from one of our listeners. Well, yeah, actually, we we got an instant message that has come in, um, and again, I want to thank everybody that takes the time either to call in or to send us an instant message. This one reads. I am a librarian in Malibu and listen to the show as often as possible. This topic captured my attention as the big five retailers reported that mystery, thriller, and suspense are by far the most lucrative genre. If if there was any time in history that we need to find creative ways to reach young people and increase their awareness and consciousness, this is the time. I've ordered uh, your first book as an introduction to your series and will be listening attentively to your interview. Yes, good stuff. So, hey, hey, we're, what a nice, what, you have, yeah, you have yeah. great listeners. That's <laughs> yeah. a wonderful statement. Uh, and, and my last comment, Dennis, I enjoyed it, loved the, the, the time, and um, 
you know, you need to work on a thriller, a uh, literary thriller, and you need to take a subject matter, you know, NFL football. Traumatic brain injury. <laughs> yeah. no one, no, there's no one there's is, not what? enough thrills in NFL uh, Hey, wait a minute. You? You know, <laughs> yeah. well, by playing the game, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and then the words, you kept saying Pitt, the Pittsburgh. I'm like, every time you said Pittsburgh, I, Alan would look at me because I had this grimace on my face. I, I don't like Pittsburgh see, Steelers. See, I just don't like the Steelers. He's still traumatized. Oh, my God. I, I don't it's like a good Steelers, thing I man. didn't find out you didn't like the Steelers until yeah. after the interview was yeah. over, oh my Marvin, gosh, or we'd know. be having a real different interview here. I'm a huge Steeler fan, and I'm still heartbroken about yesterday. Game. Well, but, but you know what? I, I I think Marvin has these bad feelings probably because he lost to the Steelers enough times that it still affects him. So you may have to come in and deal with the trauma of that that he That's still right. is carrying I, I, I with him. I should send you my card, Marvin. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll help you deal with the trauma of that loss. Well, yeah. no, Dennis, what we need to do, there there would be so many people, I think, that would be interested in having a book that's a, a, a literary thriller dealing with the NFL. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of subject matter there, but that's for another for another time. Well, but. and and that'll be for another show. But Dennis, um, this has been wonderful. Really appreciate you taking the time. Would love to have you come back and let's have you come back and and be in studio. I mean th- that oh, would be that great. would be that'd be great. Do you uh, guys like put out snacks and stuff? Oh, yeah. we can. <laughs> I don't know if they'll be in Steeler colors or anything, but we can put snacks out. <laughs> yeah, I'll be the guy with a terrible towel swinging it over my head. That's wonderful. Hey, and if you get tackled, don't, I, 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 I want get... to thank you guys. You, you asked really good questions, both of you, and, and I think you both have great uh, insight into some of the issues that young people are dealing with today. I, I think uh, this is a wonderful program to be putting out. Well, thank Thank you. you We appreciate that. We appreciate everybody out there that's listening. Please be with us again next week uh, as we will continue to touch on Answers for the Family. Take care, Dennis. Bye now. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza and Marvin Smith right here on L.A. Talk Radio. 